Hey strangers, welcome to Please Don't Tell My Mom. It's been a little bit of a wild ride. We're only three episodes in and we're already recording from a new location. You already heard me coming to you from the parking lot underneath my empty apartment. The next episode, you heard me recording from my dad's office space. After that, my house burned down, and I spent the next month living in a church with my whole family. You'll inevitably hear about that. I guess when you start a podcast on dealing with the aftermath of trauma and breaking the shame that holds us to those trauma ties, I guess that's an invitation for the universe to send you a little bit of chaos. So while I sit here and deal with all of this and figure out how to piece it together, I'm going to release an episode that I recorded with one of my good friends last month. Yesterday was a special day because it was my mother's birthday. Happy birthday, mom. It was also a little bit of a hard day because a few years ago, I lost one of my best friends to suicide on this day. This episode is dedicated to him and to anybody else who's struggling. In this episode, Travis and I discuss a multitude of triggering subjects, including suicide, suicidal ideation, self-harm, and various mental health matters. Travis shares his own experiences with seasonal depression, therapy, and gives us some potentially life-saving information. I share a little bit of my own experiences with this same subjects. This episode also covers tough subjects like our views on God and Christianity and where God is in the fight of depression. If you or someone you know is struggling with thoughts of self-harm, consider calling the National Helpline at 988. Know that you are not alone. We can do these things. We can get through this together. We can do hard things and we can survive hard things when we have each other to rely on. As always, I hope that you're in the right headspace when you listen to this episode because this conversation is going to be tough. But you know what? This conversation is really important. Thanks for being here today. Without further ado, let me introduce my friend Travis. Um, this is something that like no one's asked me to do and I find incredibly important. And I'm just like, Every couple of weeks, I have to get myself like I'm already having these conversations. I'm already in this headspace, but it's a whole different thing putting it out to the public and just being perceived, having everybody judge you from their own like understanding of who they think you are and what they think you've been through and all this stuff. And um, as somebody who's really like just per- affected by everyone else's feelings so much, uh, it's it's really hard to get into the headspace. Like I know what I want to do. I know how it's going to look and I'm excited for it to come about. But every time I go into the recording, I'm just like, okay, I don't want to do this at all. <laughs> I feel you. It's hard. I really feel you. Um, um, this is going to be great. This is going to be fantastic. And yeah. you sound good. You know, it's uh, this is, if I'm closing my eyes and I'm just, you know, like imagining this voice being on a podcast is smooth. You know, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, yes. I'm hoping that it's going to get smoother, especially like if I kind of find my footing, it can, like I said, bring other people in with me. Um, 
but it's interesting also I love that we're having this conversation because we met as artists like that was not our connection wasn't necessarily mental health we met in the art fields and trying to pursue this music career together I've heard um I've heard it compared as an artist that we have this like we're addicted to the idea and to the, the the excitement of the new idea we love coming up with new concepts and then the fruition of it kind of bringing it into practice is the harder part because mm-hmm. it takes all of the structure and you know discipline and stuff and yeah, absolutely i can definitely relate to that i think uh most artists would per- they would per- like their ideal situation would be like them sitting in like at the head of a, a big conference room table with a bunch of, you know, executives and people that get stuff done. And they're just like, I have this brilliant idea. Here it is. And they're like, wow, this is amazing. Take all of this money and we'll do the rest, you yeah. know? And then they could just like be hype on their idea, you know, but it's uh, especially when we're just getting started. It's like, you're that entire conference table. Yeah. You're everybody at that table. You're the only one at that table. So like you have to, figure out how to be your own writer, your own editor, your own planner, manager, critic, and um, critic, mm-hmm. 100%. And then, you know, hopefully over time, as you persevere through all of those challenges, you can ask for help or somebody will see what you're doing and be like, yo, this is dope. Um, I do this. This is what I do. Can we like work together or can I help you out with your next project or something? And that's like honestly just super encouraging because then then you can actually build that momentum yeah. um i could never release a song every two weeks if i didn't have people that were helping me to do that you know so um yeah totally just uh encourage you and anybody else that's thinking of uh starting an idea don't think about it just do get it. started on it <laughs> you know take the steps and you know persevere yeah, yeah. like the nike slogan just do it just do it. Just <laughs> but do it's funny what you said. Um, you mentioned you mentioned um, asking for help and how important that is. And I started kind of like laughing in my brain because I remembered this time when we were at Nam, you and I, and we were walking around passing out flyers. Yeah. And I was having major uh, imposter syndrome and just feeling so afraid of rejection. And I was like, no, no, I can't. I can't go up to these people. They don't want to talk to me. They don't want to hear from me. They don't want any of my information. And you were just like, yo, Kate, we're going to go, we're going to go into this so hard. We're going to like break your, <laughs> your fear right now. Just going to make yeah. you talk to like 20 people in a row. And um, you're like, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. You have something to offer them that they can use. Like, don't be afraid of that. That's just, it's beautiful. They don't want it. They don't want it. It doesn't reflect on you, you know, and just that little tiny piece of just guidance, friend to friend, peer to peer was huge for me. I don't even know if you know how huge that was for me. Um, but it really like it was sending me on this journey it was the very beginning of this journey of being seen and being perceived and mm-hmm. i've been talking about this with a lot of people lately especially a lot of women that i know who are starting to kind of step into their power for the first time and mm-hmm. really like own who they are instead of uh, trying to be who they think the world wants them to be mm-hmm. and men too it's not just women but I have been noticing this imposter syndrome coming up over and over again with everybody as, as they step into who they really want to be. And this need, this need to shut everybody off and not be perceived like, all right, I'm going to just cover this for a little bit because I don't want you to look at me. You know, I don't want anyone to see me and see that I'm feeling feelings and perceiving things. And I might be rejected by you. And I might interpret what you're saying as another thing. And, 
you didn't mean it that way. And we know this, we're getting all confused in our interactions because we're feeling so much, but not able to articulate it. Mm. And I don't know, I think it's been a really interesting journey deconstructing all of that inside of myself, getting to the point where I can now have a podcast talking about these things openly. Mm. And I shared with you, it's still really difficult for me. Like I spend, I, I gave myself two weeks after each episode to just deconstruct and not do anything and then start preparing for the next one. And I've noticed that I use every single minute of that time. And I'm like, oh no, I have to do a podcast tomorrow. I guess it's time to start thinking about that tomorrow. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I use the whole entire time to just not think about it and push it away because I, I'm just so worried about the next time I'm going to have to be perceived again. And it's still hard. But back then when I met you, that was what, January 2020 was when we went to NAM, I think, right before the whole world kind of blew up. And that's also when my life started blowing up because I, I don't remember if you were there, we went to that conference and we were playing this game with the intern with like giving him quarters and stuff for every little good task that he did. And at the time, like it was this funny little game we were playing that was causing me to have like really bad triggers that I had no idea, like what, what it was triggering in me, but it had triggered memories of my abuse from a little kid. And so I was having all of these really bad reactions and just like panic attacks. I didn't know what they were. I didn't know what panic attacks were at that time, which mm-hmm. is ironic because our intern also had a panic attack. That was my fault. I and that. Um, yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know what that was. I didn't understand mental health. I didn't understand anxiety. I didn't understand. Like when people would tell me they had anxiety at that time, I'd be like, what can we do? What do you, what are you stressed about? Let's Let's solve the problem, you know? Like there was just so much I didn't understand. And uh, when I started having those panic attacks, then not understanding that my body was responding to stimuli that was familiar, you know, I, I just, it really sent me into a mental health spiral. And at that time, like I said, I was isolated from everything I'd left behind. My whole family was gone. They were all back in Northern California. My support system was there. And up until this point, I had never acknowledged that things were really bothering me at all, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's just sort of like, that's just sort of like uncorked this huge explosion uh, of a champagne bottle of crazy emotions coming out of me after that. Mm-hmm. And also you and some of the other guys in the studio were the first people I was able to go to and say, hey, I'm struggling out loud. And I think part of that was because you had already set that template for me. Like, hey, I see that you're struggling here to be perceived. And I see that you're feeling really rejected. And Mm -hmm. that's an area I would normally never let another person see. And Mm -hmm. because I let you come alongside of me and let you help me in that moment, I was able to reach back out and say, I need help again, you know? And so when I was really struggling and and with my mental health and had to go to the hospital and be seen, you came and hung out with me and just kind of held my hand through that process that was so scary and so terrifying. And up until that point, I had never been able to ask for help before. I don't think I'd ever even stru- shared that I was struggling with anything because I think there's this element of secrecy that carries over whether whether you have trauma or not. There's this idea that we can't bring other people into our pain and we have to go through this alone because maybe we don't want to inflict pain on the other person or we don't want to be that vulnerable. And I really, I really think that secrecy is just adding fuel to the fire that keeps us 
locked and trapped in these cycles that we don't want to be in and this pain that we don't want to be in. So totally. when you talk about asking for help, it's just like, man, how do we, how do we get there? How did you get there? Like, how did, I guess we have to go a little further back in the conversation and start talking about mental health to begin with. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your struggles with mental health and kind of where you were when you and I met? Yeah, for sure. So um, my mental health struggle was kind of like a snowballing thing over time. Um, I was a pretty, pretty happy, joyful person for most of my young life. Um, and I'm not entirely sure what brought it about, but I started experiencing a seasonal depression, um, which, uh, you know, clinical term is a uh, seasonal affective disorder or SAD syndrome. Um, and it's basically, a uh, an emotional disorder where when, um, when the fall time comes around and daylight savings time happens and we set the clocks back and over time it starts getting darker earlier in the day, um, my body responds to the darkness, uh, in turn, in, in response, it shuts down. And a lot of people actually feel a little bit of a lull or a little, you know, dip in their overall mood towards the fall and winter seasons, especially if you live in a seasonal, uh, you know, type of environment like the East Coast, the, the winters are cold, the fall is getting dark and stuff. Um, California and other places, I mean, it's sunny pretty much year round and stuff. So it's a little bit different. But living in New Jersey, um, I would experience this dip around the, you know, maybe from around October. And it would carry all the way until around like February or March. So really like six months out of the year, I would feel, I would be experiencing this, uh, depression. And, um, I didn't realize that it was actually going on for a while because I think the first couple of years that it happened, it was kind of mild. And I just figured, you know, hey, I was in school at the time. You know, I have things going on. It's just a stressful time, you know, so maybe I'm just stressed out and it is what it is. Uh, but as the years went on, the the beginning of the season of that depression started becoming more drastic and more obvious. And then the coming out of the depression in March, when daylight savings time, we spring ahead and, you know, we get that first bright sunny day of the spring, I would feel like, like I just came alive again. Like I was drowning for six months. And now I just like, oh my gosh, like, I feel amazing right now. Like what's, why do I feel so good? There's nothing even special going on today, but I feel amazing all of a sudden. And, you know, like I said, the first couple of years that it happened, I was just grateful to feel awesome, you know? So I wasn't thinking of like, like, wow, I have to figure out why I wasn't feeling awesome before. I'm like, look, it's over with. Like, I'm glad it's done. I'm happy now. Let's keep it pushing, you know? And I just rock all the way through the summer. Think everything is going to be great. October comes around again. And then all of a sudden, just something. And to be clear, it wasn't triggered by like my circumstances. It's not like, oh, I lost my job and then I ended up depressed. The only circumstance that was consistent was that it was getting darker earlier, that daylight savings time was happening and this seasonal change was going on. And I just remember one year 
um, I was walking out of my job and my life was in a circumstantially a good place. You know, I had, uh, I had stable relationships. I had a great job. Um, I had finished school. Like, uh, I was moving forward in my career, like things, I had no real reason to be upset, but I walked to, out of the building and walked to my car and it was like one of those first days of the darker season. It was like four o'clock or four thirty, and it was already like almost pitch black outside. And something happened that like I felt my whole mood just go like, ooh, like all the way down. And before I got to my car, I was like, what the heck just happened? Like, why do I feel so so down all of a sudden? Like, I almost want to cry right now. Like, what the heck is going on, you know? And um, so after a couple of years of that happening, it got really, really bad. Um, like, every year it would snowball and get uh, lower lows and higher highs every year. And I just remember um, it was, I think it was in 20, um, 2014 or 2015, uh I had I was living by myself, which I thought was something that I really wanted because I was annoyed with people and their living habits. And I had a ton of roommates in college and I was kind of over it. So I wanted to live by myself. I thought I was going to be cool like that. And I was sitting in my house and um, it was my birthday, February 16th. It was my birthday. And I had been experiencing this depression, like I had said, from since like October, November. But on my birthday, it was the worst day of like my entire life. Um, I was sitting in my room and just feeling this deep sorrow and hopelessness. Like I started just thinking about my life, about my music, about like, what's even the point? Like, I just remembered thinking like, what's even the point of all of this? what am I even doing? Why, why is my life even a life? Like, why, like, the, the, why should I even try? Is it even worth it? What does all of this even mean? And I felt so hopeless. I just started crying, yo. Um, I started really just thinking about ways that I could realistically end my life. Um, I'm a little bit of a, like a punk, you know, so I'm not like brave enough to do a lot of the wild things. I was just trying to think of a, an easy way out. And um, uh, I just remember even at that time, um, I was like spazzing out on my mom <clears throat> who loves me more than anything and is always there for me. And I'm so grateful that I have a mom like that. Um, but I just treated her in a way that she didn't deserve. I had like no patience for her. I snapped on her and she could see that there was something wrong with me. You know, she could see that I was suffering and she uh she was she actually asked me um how do you feel about maybe going and talking to somebody about the emotions that you're feeling and stuff right now because this isn't you and i i broke down and cried and i like i knew that the, that it wasn't me and i felt so bad about treating her that way but i I was literally brought to my knees about like, I can't actually control what's going on right now. My emotions, whatever it is, it's like out of my control. I can't figure it out. 
So maybe I do need to talk to somebody. And um, I'm just really grateful that she helped me find somebody. How old were you when you had that conversation with your mom? I would say I was probably, I was maybe like 23, 22. Okay. Yeah, I think somewhere around there. Yeah, I was listening to you talk about that and I'm thinking about how the times that I was so, I was hurting so much that it started to hurt other people beyond my control. And those are always the times that for me, made me realize how sick I was, I think, um, how much I had, how much healing I had to do. But instead of using it as an opportunity, like, oh, I need to go get therapy or I need to get help or ask for help. Um, my, I think that my past and my trauma had kind of conditioned me already to deal with these things alone. And so I really took those, those times and, and I still struggle with this. But I, I take those times as confirmation that nobody wants me around, that I shouldn't be here. And, um, you know, like, look at me, I'm treating my own mother this way. Like, I, this woman who birthed me and has given everything to me and still wants to be here for me in these times when I'm hurting her back, those moments tend to make me feel just so powerless to what's happening. Um, and I think I just, I spent so long really thinking that nobody else knew what was going on mm. and I mean I mean they I was I wasn't wrong like a lot of people I was really really good at hiding it and it wasn't for me it wasn't a seasonal thing um for me I think it was probably a result of just not dealing with the pain that was that was causing me all of these problems you know and I remember I guess for me, I think it started around 15. I started thinking about suicidal ideation. I started experiencing that really young. I can't even tell you what the triggers were, but I remember being 15. And by this point, I had friends, I had made friends who were experiencing the same things already. So I, my peer group was kind of going through the same stuff. They were self-harming. They were talking about suicide. They were you know, we were, maybe we were in the emo kid category when we were in high school. I don't know if that's even still a thing, mm -hmm. um, but it was it was something my friends talked about. We talked about our pain openly. We talked about not how it was directly affecting us, but just the fact that you know, life is life is awful. Life is is terrible. There's no point, and and this is what I do. And and you know, kids kids will congregate. Kids will find other people who are experiencing what they're experiencing. And the thing is another child does not have the capacity to tell you what's wrong with your thinking. Another child doesn't have the capacity to say, oh, maybe you should get help. Maybe you should not be doing these things. Maybe you should be looking at it this way. And they, and they shouldn't. They're children too, who are also struggling, you know? I guess I never really felt like it was this big threat. It just felt like this is how we express the pain we have. Like we're, we're people who have darkness and we have a lot of pain. And so we talk about these edgy concepts and we, you know, we entertain these ideas, but we're never really going to do it. And I don't know, I think when I, at that time, when I was 15, when things would get really, really dark, kind of like you described, I would just really isolate and tell myself that um, I can't be around other people because 
they would see, they would know something's wrong, you know? And, and so I worked through how to hide these things. Like, how do I hide all of this pain that I'm feeling? How do I make myself appear normal? Um, and I, it just really became such an ingrained part of my life that I didn't think about it. Like, it I never really even considered myself to have depression or to have any mental health issues. And in 2018, my friend from that time in life, from 15, actually did commit suicide. And I remember feeling after I found out, um, just he actually committed suicide on my mom's birthday, and he had called my mom that morning. And my parents, you know, my dad is a pastor, and my mom was in ministry too. So this this kid came to our youth group, and he relied on our family a lot as support system. And so I think there was kind of an element of guilt with all of us of feeling like, oh, what if we had answered the phone? What if we had been there? What if like we had been able to talk him down or whatever it was? And and I'll never know. I'll never know um, if there was something I could have done. When you get to this point, I know from myself, my own experiences, when you get to this point that you can't reach out, you can't talk to other people and you uh, finally have the strength to do it. Like you're like, all right, I'm just going to. I'm going to text one person and they don't respond or they're just not available for one of a thousand reasons. It's just, again, I take that as confirmation. See, I don't matter. It doesn't matter. I can just go, you know? And so I, to be honest, I still struggle with these things. And particularly when I uh, kind of release a huge layer of this, of this part of my shadow or the part of this pain, when I've done enough healing to kind of release that part, Usually it will end in me wanting to go deeper into these emotions and feeling like that was a mistake. You shouldn't have tried to heal. You shouldn't have shared this with other people. You mm-hmm. shouldn't have, you know, you, you thought you were too important, whatever it is. And then I go right back into the spiral. And um, totally. yeah, I just, I, I think I wrestled with so much, so many feelings when I lost my friend Ryan. And actually my podcast intro is a song that he wrote. Oh, wow. And yeah, he was doing a lot of dub stuff and stuff back in the day. And we used to make music together. We also connected on music and then mental health. And he, he was just, he was my ride or die. You know, we both, we both were in it. So as soon as he kind of like broke that pact and, and actually went through with it, I felt all these feelings of guilt, of betrayal, of anger, of frustration, wanting to join him even, you know, there's just, so many levels of it and i really i just think people don't talk about this enough we don't talk about how it feels to experience these emotions because it's taboo you don't want to if somebody tells you they're feeling suicidal then you know they might call the cops on you or they might want to come over and smother you and never leave you alone or i just i think that it needs to be talked about i think that it can't be something we deal with on our own anymore totally i agree i agree um i wanted to share this poem that I wrote not too long. Well, it's not really a poem. It's just kind of some written word, but Mm -hmm. I I wrote a little bit about how I was feeling during this time. Mm -hmm. And I want to share it if that's okay with you. Yes, please do. I'm so tired of being strong. I know you want to help, but you're not. I know you think I've got it, but I don't. Are you happy? Is anybody actually even happy? It's getting pretty overwhelming, pretty monotonous, pretty right close to the edge. I don't even know if I'm angry. I thought that I wasn't. 
I just came here in hopes of connecting with you in our spot. And maybe our friend was right. What does it matter? You're gone and you aren't ever coming back. But I want you to know I get it. Like, I get it. I came here right after I heard the news and I didn't know what I was doing or what to do and everything was this big cluster of confusing, blurry emotion and I just drank. I drank crappy beer and I tried to pour some out for you and honor you somehow. Much like today when I was driving and overwhelmed and crying and again confused. I somehow found myself at our liquor store buying an even bigger cheap 40 and just drinking, talking to you about my problems about how I get it too. And I'm still not mad, but I do get it. Even more than when I did then. It's all so overwhelming, you know? It's, it's like I can't, it can't get any better. And even the people you love are just gonna leave you alone one day and break you beyond repair. And how do you even go on when you know that that's the end? Mm. Wouldn't it be better to just hit stop? Pretend like you don't know the ending because you don't want to be faced with that reality. I know it pales in comparison to everything you've ever felt and did, and I did I ever even deal with depression, or am I just that selfish that I take on illnesses I don't even have to feel some kind of, what, pity for myself? I drove right past here every day for months, completely unaware that I was passing your house, passing you and your pain and your suffering and your dying. So unaware of you or others and everyone just dying. Are you even happy? Are you happy now that you're at peace? Or you don't have to watch the end? Or is it torture up there too? Because I want to know, and bro, I get it. I can deal with not surviving here, and everything is temporary, and this too shall pass, but everything you'll ever love will leave you, by choice or not. You'll never be safe, even up there. I'll never be safe. So why, why, what do we do? I mean, are we even happy? Whoa. So I, I wrote that probably like maybe six months before I met you. I got chills. That was amazing. I remember so many times sitting there in my pain and just thinking, wow, nobody has any freaking clue. Nobody has any freaking clue. Mm -hmm. You know? And I, I just, I want, I want... I want other people to feel like they can talk about it. And I don't know, I don't know how to like direct people to get there because I don't know. For me, I didn't ask you. I didn't say, hey, Travis, I'm feeling like I want to kill myself. Will you come be with me in the hospital? Mm -hmm. I I just was spiraling and I got to this point. Actually, that day, I had been spiraling out of control. And and at that point, um, I was running outside. I didn't know what to do, but I knew that I needed help. I knew that I wasn't okay. And this was a really bad, bad, bad point. And I, and I maybe wouldn't be okay if I didn't get help. Mm -hmm. And so that, I think that's when I maybe texted somebody in the group and she immediately came by my side and just hung out with me. Didn't ask me questions, didn't try to pry, didn't, you know, you let me set the tone, but you guys were just physically there. And I think it's important to note that too, because sometimes there's nothing to talk about. Sometimes it's just, it's too deep and the pain is buried down so far that you don't even know where to start. You don't know how to ask for help or how to talk about it. And sometimes you just need to say, hey, can you just sit with me? 
can you just be with me in this? Mm-hmm. You know? Totally. Um, I remember that day, yeah. I know that you also wrote a poem about this. Um, and I don't know if you want to share it now or if you wanted to share it towards the end. But I also wanted to hear kind of your perspective about how that felt for you and and then kind of talk about like what you did to get out of it. Are you sure? Yeah. Um yeah, I will uh I can share it now. Um so I wrote this this poem and um it was originally titled Suicide Note. And it was something that I wrote um I wrote it in the springtime after coming out of my seasonal depression. Um and at, at the time when I wrote it, it was the worst seasonal depression yet, the worst year yet that I had experienced because every year just got increasingly worse. And um, I just remember, I remember how different I felt in the springtime and how I once once I snapped out of it, I couldn't even believe that I was feeling that low that I actually wanted to kill myself. And I I felt like I was two different people. And I felt like I had to write something to whoever that guy was that was feeling so down and worthless and hopeless and like now you know sober-minded now in the springtime i was like there's no reason for me to ever feel that way like why why did i feel like that and at the time i didn't know what what i was really experiencing was a seasonal depression i thought i was just depressed or that life really was just bringing me down and so i wrote this poem uh it was really just supposed to be a personal reminder for me something that i could read next fall when if and when that depression were to hit again and i were to be in that same dark place i wanted to remind myself that hey the the same you that's in that dark place is the same you that's in the springtime right now and saying bro no way no way like don't even think about it and um so it was really just uh, supposed to be an encouragement to myself um but over time i uh i wound up sharing it with other people and um yeah I'll, i guess i'll uh um well i guess when we talk a little bit about therapy and stuff like that too i'll share more on it but i was encouraged to share this with other people after i had brought it to um to my therapy group um because when i wrote the poem i i felt that it was a powerful piece but um i was afraid to share it with people because not only did I not want to like be vulnerable and share you know what I was really going through but I was afraid like you said of the potential consequences you know uh there's a lot of people that you know the only thing that they know how to do when somebody sends up a a red flag like that is to call the cops, call the EMTs, call the emergency, like right, right to emergency mode. And I'm not saying that that's not something that we should do, okay, because sometimes people really do need that intervention. And you could save somebody's life by doing it without their permission. 
honestly, because they might not be in a place to give you permission or to ask for that help. And there's plenty of people that that happens for, and they, on the other end of it, they're like, I'm so thankful that you did what you did, that you made the call. Um, don't ever let me get to that place again. Like, but, uh, I shared it with my, my cousin, um, who is somebody that I shared all my music with and all my writing with. Uh, he's, he's like a, a big brother to me. Uh, he's been my music coach. He's the, you know, I, I can, uh, credit him with a lot of the reason why, um, people might consider me a good artist now or a good writer is because he helped me sift through all of my crappy stuff <laughs> and tell me when something wasn't hot and when it wasn't cool. And, um, so I thought he was kind of like a safe space, you know, to share it with. And I sent it to him. And, but the, you know, again, the issue was, is that he's not my manager. He's not my, some guy, he's my cousin. He's like my big brother. He loves me so much. And when he heard it, he went into that. I got to let somebody know because Trav might be suicidal right now. Not realizing that this was actually something I wrote after I'm out of that dark place and that the purpose was to encourage myself to not do it. I just wanted to share with him that that's uh, honestly what I was going through. Um, so he shared it with my mom. And uh, and I think my aunt and my family got worried about me, like very worried. And they had to pull me aside and, you know, ask me questions about where I was. And I had to explain it to them. Um, in the end, I don't regret sharing it. But um, uh, I've learned that there's a lot more power sharing it than keeping it in and i'm grateful also to my therapy uh my men's therapy group that i went to for about uh three years um we formed a brotherhood and when i felt safe enough to share that piece with them it was um it was really really uh helpful and it changed the dynamic of all of our relationships because a lot of them had been dealing with stuff like that even up until that day. And yet, even though we were in therapy, we weren't talking about that. You know, we were talking about service level emotions. I was talking about how his wife gets on his nerves and stuff. And like, we're talking about regular things, but like safe, safe things. And once we read, you know, went through that together, we we were able to connect on a much deeper level. We really started deepening our brotherhood and, they, after we had, you know, this emotional connection, they actually, they started, one of them got kind of like, you know, uh, not upset with me, but he was like, dude, I'm grateful that you shared this with us. But how long ago did you write this? And I was like, it was a couple of years ago. And he's like, that's the most selfish thing that I think you've ever done, bro. You mean to tell me that you've been holding this for like three years? And you haven't shared this with anybody. You've been coming here for like a couple of years and you've never shared this with us. Like, do you know how many people you could help by sharing it? And I never thought about it like that. Um, that as somebody that's gone through it and survived it, you're actually like, we're, we're called. We're called to help other people get through that. And um, 
Yeah, so um, uh, I'll share with you right now what the poem is. And um, the poem has uh, since then been retitled, Have You Ever Felt Like This? I thought about killing myself one day when I wasn't really feeling myself. My self-defeating personality was really coming down on me. And I wanted to die when everybody was proud of me. From an outsider's perspective, I'm ungrateful. Just another reason my feelings were so hateful. It all started with feeling underappreciated. The way people treat people on a daily basis, it's amazing. It's like there's no value on human life. Had me ready to let mine go for a stupid price. I sat on the mattress trying to figure out how to even go about this, man. I never practiced. I got a fresh razor, rolled up my cuffs, tried carving my wrists vertical with the cuts. But no matter how I sliced, it's like my skin was too tough. Threw it in the trash like that didn't do much. Now what? I ain't jumping in front of nobody's truck. I thought starving, but I'm used to being hungry as man. I got the belt and tightened it until my neck lost feeling and realized I was too tall to hang from my ceiling. And I'm too long-winded to choke. What if I OD? I can't. I built a tolerance to dope. I was going to drink bleach, but they'd have killed me with the white on the inside jokes. Real speech. I got some passion from the Henny after lighting up a spliff. Tried burning myself alive, but I was already lit. I thought if I jump in front of this train, it'd be a rat. Then I'd have never jumped on this track. I thought about God and heaven and hell. Which one I'd be going to, you never could tell. My unfinished music, my memory swells. My family and friends, would they remember me well? I had to know. So I banged on heaven's gates, but I should have knocked light. Then a voice said, you ain't supposed to be here tonight. I was sitting on a cloud, then I dropped through. But the voice said, keep in your life, and I got you. And every time I go through that poem, you know, it, uh, it brings me back. Um, it really brings me back, yo, to where I was at. Um, yes, I'm sorry. It's it's like it's even hard for me to say it and uh, and just not get choked up. Um, Please don't apologize. That's the whole point. Yeah, it's really hard to express this stuff even when you're not in it anymore. Um, because that pain. You know, all pain is stored in our body. Our body remembers it. And when we bring it up, it resurfaces. We feel it in our body again. And you may not be in that headspace anymore where you're actively worried about your safety. You may have so much more strength um, and, and resilience to pull from now at this point in your journey. But that the body remembers that pain. That it was. I was thinking about that. The way that you said, you know, when you have survived this kind of hardship, it almost brings about this calling in you to talk about it, to help other people work through it. Because there is this permission that you give to other people when you express it and you bring that vulnerability to the table and you say, I'm willing to look different. I'm willing 
to not appear strong or perfect or whatever it is that I want you to see me as, and I'm willing to expose what's really going on here. That is a really beautiful thing that's not very common. And when you do it, it gives inherently gives the other people permission to do the same. And I think it's like a cheat code. It's like hacking the system. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like this stuff, the secrecy doesn't have to control it. You don't have to be alone in this. And not only do you not have to be alone, but if you choose to not be alone and you choose to do this with other people, it will benefit the whole collective. Yeah. And that's such an important piece to understand. Like it's not, I think that, you know, we hear all the time suicide is selfish. And I I, I do think this is an outdated idea. I think suicide itself is coming from a place of not being able to see anybody but yourself. It's not the same as selfishness. I feel that, yeah. And, um, but it does feel that way as the outsider when you're left. How did they not think about me? How did they, you know, we're thinking about how we were left behind and that, and that person who is leaving is only thinking about how to survive. And I, I do think selfishness is the wrong word to describe that, but we don't have to, we can hack that. We can hack that by bringing each other together, by entering into these spaces. And as the person who's experiencing it in the moment, I know that it's really hard to pull that. It's hard to pull out. I have never, ever, I don't think I've ever been in a season where I was at a, in a really low, low and was able to tell someone I'm struggling. Can you come in until I was in therapy? Mm-hmm. And actually my therapist is the only one I was ever successful with at this, but we kind of had a code word where she said, you know, what if you just text me an emoticon, whatever you want it to be. Anytime you're feeling like you get below a certain level and you, you start to worry a little bit, text me this emoticon and I'll call you, you know, and we'll go from there. If it needs to, if we need more intervention, we get more intervention. If it's just like, let's talk us down into a better place, then it's that. But just knowing that you have this might be helpful. And I, I don't think I ever even used it. I, and for me, it was a white flag. I chose a white flag as my Am I even using the right word? Is it emoticon? Emoji. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah I think you're right. Both ways, yeah. Emoji. Um, I used I used a, a white flag. And I don't think I ever had to use it in texture, but I just knowing that I had this option was phenomenal. I would get to these lows and be like, Do I need to send a flag to Solange? Do I need to text my therapist? Yeah. And um usually I would be able to work through it, you know, but even just knowing that you have the option can sometimes make all the difference in the world. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. In regards to even what you said about, uh, you know, this, this feeling of selfishness that uh, kind of connotates with, you know, this feeling of suicide and stuff for people. Um, I, I, that's one of the lyrics in the, in the poem was um, from an outsider's perspective, I'm ungrateful. That's just another reason my feelings were so hateful. Like for people on the outside looking in, they thought that my life was great. Like, what do you have to complain about, bro? You have both of your parents. I don't have both of my parents. You have a job. I'm not employed. You have a like, you know, they're looking at it on paper and from what they can see. Um, and uh, a person's life is not necessarily a reflection of how they feel inside at all. Yeah. What people own, what they got going on um is not a reflection almost at all of what they're actually feeling inside it could be but it's not uh a, a guarantee and um 
Yeah, I uh, I think what you said about, you know, just hacking our uh, communication and our uh, our relationships and stuff and a little, having a little cheat code, um, I totally agree. I think, you know, every time that we have conversations with people in our life, we're defining our relationship with that person. Yes. So if we can imagine, like, drawing on a piece of paper what your relationship looks like with somebody you can think about somebody that you know maybe somebody you work with what does that relationship look like for a lot of people it's like i only do certain things with the people i work with okay we talk about work we'll talk about sports and we'll talk about uh you know what we did this weekend but i don't talk to them about the you know the depression i have i don't talk to them about my love life i don't go out with them and spend time like that with them i don't want them to know me like that i don't let them follow me on instagram or facebook because i don't need them in my business I, you know like all those different things and um i'm not saying that every relationship should be a wide open space okay because it, it does take two but um then when we consider what our relationships look like with maybe our best friend or even a therapist, a therapist, you know, they'll let you know first day, like, hey, look, we could talk about anything. The only thing I can't let you talk about without doing something about it is if you're saying that you're going to hurt yourself or you're going to hurt somebody else. Yeah. Just give you a fair warning. I got to give somebody a call if you say that you're going to do that. And I really do feel like you're serious about it. Um, but outside of that, you could tell me how much you hate these people in your life. You could tell me how many drugs you just did this week. You can tell me like anything, like let it let it flow because we all need that that safe space. Um, and it's not something that actually takes as much time as we think it does. And um, I actually can only say this now from experience because. Um, uh, actually, after uh, joining uh, um, a church out here in in uh, California, um, I got around some people that like they have a culture of confession, mm. you know, like that's just their thing. Like right off of the rip, they will tell you, you know, not like in a weird way, but like as soon as they like you get into a conversation with people, they're they're very transparent and very vulnerable about the deepest struggle that they might have gone through. And they don't even have to know you like that. And I remember having a conversation with a couple of these people and within the first five minutes, they were just like, yeah, man, um, you know, I just, I really am grateful for what God's doing in my life now, man. Uh, between you and me, bro, I had bad alcohol addiction. Um, I had really bad, uh, you know, pill addiction. I was doing opiates. Like, um, I was really depressed. Da -da -da. I was like, my whole family fell apart, da -da -da, this and that. And like, they're sharing this with me and I'm looking around and I'm like, uh, you feel comfortable with telling me this? And they're like, yeah, I mean, why not? You know? And there was something so new about that for me that like, right after that, I was like, oh, wow. Well, I struggle with smoking, bro. And like, I literally thought about killing myself. And like, I've been through this and da, da, da. And within like 10 minutes of meeting this person, I had a deeper connection with them than I did with people that I've known for like 10 years. Yeah, they gave you that permission to be vulnerable by yes. doing it first. Absolutely. They went right to giving me permission to be vulnerable by being vulnerable first. Yeah, I, I find that the church is 
You know, the church inherently is supposed to be a template for healing. It is supposed to help us heal and, and do these things. Like it gives us, you know, kind of these resources, but the, the people who come to church are broken. Right. And so we, we take our, our little pieces of information and we bring it to everybody, whether it's right or we're wrong, you know, and um, whether it's checked or not. And a lot of times religion becomes something that actually causes the pain and causes the abuse, you know, and me and my family have been through so many different examples of spiritual abuse, which I will get into another episode someday, but Mm. um, you know, it's hard I know it can be hard to hear for me, even as somebody who's come kind of back to this again and later in life, it's hard for me still to hear people say things like, Oh, I'm, um, I'm just so grateful for what God is doing in my life. And I want to be like, Oh, is it God or is it you? You know, <laughs> I want to ask these questions yeah, and yeah. I want to poke holes and stuff like that. Um, and that's okay. I think that's totally okay. Like the, the point is here for me at least. And I think, for anybody else is that it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to approach things um, and be vulnerable. It's okay to come to people who believe something different than you. And maybe you'll have a completely different experience. Maybe you'll meet people who have this, you know, like you were experiencing Christians already naturally have this template for healing, right? So there's going to be a lot of people you're going to meet in the church who have come overcome huge things. They've overcome huge traumas, huge struggles, huge life setbacks and where they are in their journey now they can attribute those things to god they can say oh i see now how god had a hand over my life how god orchestrated these things how these things all work together and whether you believe that god is somebody in the sky you know looking over you and giving you rules or you believe that god is this father figure this spiritual father figure um, or the creator, whatever your view on God is. For some people, God is the part of us that knows things we shouldn't know. The part of us that has answers, the part of us that can give us wisdom, the part of us that knows better. For some people, that's God. I think it's okay to ask questions and to not know. I think it's okay to to gather with people who are different than you and get exposed to different different ideas and different concepts. Oh. And I think the main thing that matters here is gathering in that community and bringing other people into it. Because when you're going through it alone, you don't have anybody to soundboard off of. You're just sitting there in an echo chamber saying your own things and and cycling through. And, you know, it's like you're taking everything as confirmation that your viewpoint is correct. And it's, it's hard to not get lost in that. It's hard to not swim in that chaos for the rest of your life unless you put your hand up and try to get out of that. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. I don't know. I think I went in a couple different tangents there, but um, no, it's you hit on something really important, which is community. Yeah. Um, whether within a church or outside of a church or in any other facet, we need community. Yes. Like we seek it on from our deepest depths. We do not want to be alone. Yeah. You know, even uh, and and you know, just just for anybody that's listening that's trying to figure out okay well other than calling 911 what do i do for somebody that's like on the edge that's really thinking about uh killing themselves or hurting somebody else like um what can i do other than like blow the whistle you know um the most like 
effective thing that you could do for free immediately without any struggle is to let them know that you felt the same way. And be honest about it, you know, um, relate with them. Even if you've never been through what they're going through, or if you've never actually felt the exact same way, there's guaranteed been a time where you felt very vulnerable. There's guaranteed to be a time where you felt very scared. There's guaranteed to be a time where somehow, some way you can relate to what they're, what they're feeling. And even if you can't, you can say, wow, I can't imagine what that must be like for you. But I can imagine if I were in your shoes going through that right now, I would probably feel the same way. Yeah. All people really want to know is that they're not alone and they're not crazy. That's exactly it. This this feeling that we're alone and that we're the only one experiencing it is the thing that keeps us stuck in the cycle or or gets us to, to want to really end it because we think, well, it's never going to be different. It's always going to be this. And that's what it is for me. When I get suicidal, it's because I'm at my lowest and I have given up hope that it's ever going to be different. I think, well, it's always been this way since I was old enough to remember. Why would it ever be different? This is my call in life. I'm just going to struggle through life. And, you know, what, why, for what, for what reason? Why do I have to do that? You know, and it is this sense of being alone. And we confirm that we're alone by not including anybody in, in with us, you know, mm-hmm. and I think this. This community piece is so important. Like you said, like for me, it was having, you know, first that experience in the hospital where I knew that I could text you guys and you came and just sat with me. And in that time, I didn't have anything to say. I couldn't talk about it. I wasn't even ready for therapy. I just needed to do something. And for me, that meant getting on medication and stabilizing my um, my mental health and getting to a place where I could consciously work on these things because my body was doing it chemically now and I had the permission to be able to actually look at what was happening. Now I don't need medication anymore. And I'm not saying that's the same thing that everybody needs, but for me, that's where I started. And then I started talking a little bit to my therapist, just about what was going on in my life, not even about trauma. To this day, I have not unpacked my trauma in therapy. I've tangentially unpacked things and then taken them into my own private void. But I do think it's important that you pick the right people and I think it's worth saying that not everybody has the capacity to listen and to be um, a supporter. Absolutely. And th- I mean, there are a lot of people even now in my life that I just desperately wish they had that ability because I want them to be there for me. I want them to be my safe person, but I can't ask that of them because they're just not there. And especially in this this day and age, post-2020, post-apocalypse, whatever you want to call this, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's struggling. And we have less and less room to be there for other people. And so I'm noticing, you know, well, if I'm feeling like everyone's struggling, then that, that's just going to make me feel even more alone. I don't want to, I don't want to reach out and be a burden. I don't want to ask somebody to come and help me when they're struggling with all this other stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to talk about energy exchanges for that reason. Because I think, you know, when you go to therapy, it's not a friend that you're just dumping on for an hour and a half. And then they have to go home and be like, well, what do I do with all of this? Mm-hmm. You know, right. it's somebody that you're paying, even if your insurance is paying for it, you're paying them a monetary exchange for them to sit there and provide this space in this container for you. Mm-hmm. And that is an exchange of energy. So that person can do what, what they want with that. Whereas in a friendship situation, it's 
not okay for me to just sit and be like, call you up and just start trauma dumping on you. I'm like, Travis, I'm, I'm going to tell myself everything sucks and my life sucks and I'm bubble, you know, and just bring you into that without asking you if you have the space for it without mm-hmm. seeing if it's something you can contribute to, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so there are, I think kind of protocols for dealing with this kind of stuff. And I just, I want to say that for anyone who's listening to this, I think it is really important to, to look into therapy for this reason, because it's, it's such an easy, um, already built in system for you to do that in the energy exchanges there, but Mm -hmm. it is possible to do this with friends. It is possible to do this with community, with the church, with a group that you are comfortable deconstructing and rebuilding with, you know, and if you have relationships in your life that have that potential to give to you, then that's beautiful. But Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't have that. And even Mm -hmm. if you do, maybe they just can't support you on that level. Maybe they haven't experienced what you experienced. So I wanted to say that, number one, I think that is why therapy is so important because it's already just a built-in container for you to do that in, a, in, a, in an equal exchange. But also in the context where you are being a friend, when someone does come to you and has all of these things that they're going through, how do you be there for them? You talked about uh, relating to them. And I think that's such an important component yeah. because while there is there is a, a time and a place for active listening, right? When someone's going through something and you have the space to be there for them, it's important to be an active listener and let them talk without making it about you, right? Mm-hmm. So this is an important skill to have as an advocate, as a friend, especially if you want to be there for people in hard times like this. But then you have to also weigh that with what's happening when someone's in a suicidal episode or when they're really low, right? Because as someone who's experienced this, I'm sure you can relate. Sometimes you can't access those words and sometimes you can't access anything outside of you. Um, For me, it sometimes feels like there's a bubble, like kind of just encompassing me and or almost like I'm at the bottom of this well and I can hear everything everyone's saying and I can understand, but I can't give back. I can't let anything out. It's just like, Mm -hmm. it's all stuck below the surface. And Typically in those moments, if I'm feeling suicidal, I usually, I really just can't see past myself at all and my own situation and everything that is, it's so far beyond help. I am, I'm so, so far down in the well that nobody can reach me anymore. And those Mm -hmm. are the times where I need somebody to come in and relate. I need somebody else to come in and force their way through the bubble and tell me that I'm not alone. Yeah. And I think for me, I've had that, I've had the, the, the blessing of having a relationship with somebody who struggled with the same things. And so my partner has been able to really come in in those moments and be what I needed and just be like, well, if if it's what you're thinking, like, what's the realistic, what does it realistically look like over here? And, you know, what does it really realistically look like if you were going to do this? How would this look? How would this feel? Who would, who would respond? What would happen? And, bringing me into the physical reality of it, of mm-hmm. what's happening and where it's coming from. And if this is really what I want. And, and then, you know, yeah, I felt like that too. I thought about that, but then I thought about this and, you know, just being real, not being afraid not being like, what are we going to do? We have to solve this. We have to I have to call somebody. I have to, you know, I got to fix it for you. Right, but just right. being there and not being afraid of what I'm, what I'm producing yeah. was, was so, so helpful. It just provided this container of just like, I don't have to, 
pretend like you get it you you clearly get that i'm here and that i'm like real close to not being here and you're still here in this moment with me and somehow having that space to just fully fall apart allows me to put back the pieces again yeah you know absolutely yeah i think you one of the things that you brought up there is that people panic um a lot of people can panic when they're presented with like a friend going through something like this because either they've they've never been through it before or B, they just, they're they're not equipped. Like they they don't know, like, and anybody can become equipped. I don't know. It's not like something you have to be born with. Anybody can become equipped to handle these types of situations better. Um, And I guess uh, if we can imagine it, um, maybe I don't know if any listeners have, have ever worked uh, for like emergency response or something like that, but people that work for emergency response, if you could put them, put yourself in their shoes for a minute, either somebody that drives uh, for an ambulance or somebody that answers the 911 phone calls. Um, I'm sure a lot of the phone calls that they get are serious and they do and their services are needed, but I'm sure a ton of them are people panicking about something that actually isn't an emergency. They just need somebody that can remind them that it's not an emergency and it's going to be okay, you know? And somebody who does that for a living, they're somebody that not only have they become equipped through the practice of doing it so much, but it probably, like, it probably takes a lot more for them to be triggered for their emergency flag than the average person because they've dealt with it before. They know, like, hey, you know, like, I remember in college, I had a friend that they uh, they they ate a weed brownie, okay, and they were convinced they were about to die, okay, like I'm gonna overdose, I'm I'm dying, I can't. And the ambulance pulled up, and they were like, you can see the look on the guy's face that like, you know, this is this is not the first time I've gotten this call. I'm not panicked at all. There's never been anybody that's ever died from, you know, a weed brownie. You just, it's an anxiety thing that's going on and that can trigger like other stuff. Don't get me wrong. Like, but the, you're not going to overdose on the weed brownie. You're just going to be, you know, a little, a little zoned out for a little bit, but um, he was not panicked at all. The person that had eaten it was panicking and he just came and he was like, okay, look, I'm just going to let you know the facts here. You're not going to die. Okay. It's going to be okay. I've dealt with this before. I know how to handle it. And, you know, secretly, his only handling it was, we're going to sit here for a little bit. You're going to breathe. I'm going to talk you through this. And then you're going to go back to your life. And you're going to be just fine, you know. And um, and that was enough to get this person through something that for them was a red flag emergency. But because he was equipped because uh, not only was he, you know, equipped with the knowledge of whether this is really serious or not, but emotionally he was equipped. He had space for this. He had already been in the practice of making space for people and everything that they think is an emergency, even for real emergencies. He has the space for it. And um, we can all become equipped even without working in emergency response teams. Like, um I would say that, uh, you know, one of the things that you brought up was uh, active listening, right? And that's like a, a key, uh, one of like the, the, the key elements for this. Um, I used to work in, uh, and I've worked throughout the mental health field as a, an advocate. And um, some of the, like, some, four of the things that we, we teach are um, active listening, 
positive communication, stigma reduction, and validation. All right. And all that is, is like you said, active listening, just being a good listener, hearing what it is that they're going through, even reiterating it to them so that they know like, okay, so I hear you. You, you, you sound like you're, you're dealing with some anxiety right now. Um, what you said about your mom is pretty stressful. Like I could imagine like, okay, they feel like you weren't just in one ear and out the other that you heard them. Okay. Um, positive communication, saying things that are positive to build them up, not knocking them down for the way that they feel. Um, using using words like it's going to be okay like we it, it that is such a, a powerful short simple sentence that even if you don't know for sure how it's going to be okay just saying it's going to be okay you're going to be okay everything's going to be fine it's like it can just it, it it like calms the spirit it calms our whole body down and you can convince somebody to actually believe that and then it will be okay um, we got, uh, validation is just like, whatever it is that you're going through, whatever you feel, you're entitled to feel it. You're not crazy. It's not illegal for you to feel these feelings or to be depressed. It's not a crime. Um, you're not the only one that's felt that way. Hey, you know what? I would feel that same way if I were in your shoes or the last time this happened to me, man, I was, I was feeling the same way. I was even feeling worse. I wanted to hurt somebody. I wanted to, to do this. You know, so that validation lets them know that they're not crazy. It's okay. This is a safe space. And uh, stigma reduction, it goes along with that. It's just like, hey, you know, it's okay to not be okay, right? It's okay to not be okay. It's not a crime. Mental health is not a uh, mental illness is not a crime. Okay. So um, just those things right there can equip anybody. And we all have uh, the skills to do those simple four things before blowing the whistle. If you still need to blow the whistle after that and you're like, no, this person is really like not, you know, responding to any of this, then then you have to do what you got to do. But um, usually those between those four things right there, it's enough to get somebody out of that emergency zone. So they can actually make a little bit more of a sober minded judgment about what they're going through. And uh, you can help them lift themselves out of it versus you trying to, you know, fix their problem. You know, you, you, you can't fix somebody's trauma. We, we really can't, you know, even if yeah. you want to take it away from them so bad because you love them and you, you can't fix somebody's trauma. And as a matter of fact, it's not it's not something that should be wished to be undone because it actually is making you powerful in a way that like we said before you're now called because you're going to survive this trauma you're going to triumph over it and then you're going to be a beacon of hope to everybody else who is going to go through that trauma later or has already been through it oh man Chad, i'm so glad you said all of that that's stuff i didn't even think to cover that's just so important it's so important and i i think even if people who are listening don't go to therapy even if they're unable to overcome those obstacles right now and they're unable to process their own trauma, this is a skill that everybody, like you said, anybody can be equipped and everybody's going through trauma right now. So to be a person, you know, and I do think it's worth saying too, there are seasons when we need to be the one receiving and there are seasons when we need to be the one giving. because. Absolutely. It, it ebbs and it flows. And maybe maybe I'll be experiencing this for the rest of my life. 
hopefully with more and more clarity as I go through this spiral and get closer to the top, I see that I'm not running in circles. I'm actually making progress, right? And I'm able to pull those tools in and those things that I've learned and the people alongside of me, and it does get easier. And we fall, we don't fall quite as far when we fall down. And maybe I will be struggling with this for a long time, but that doesn't mean that there will be seasons. That doesn't mean there won't be seasons where I am doing equally as well. And like you said, the highs got higher and the lows got lower. That's part mm. of the process of the spiral. It's expanding, right? It's yeah. expanding and, and they are, it is a further drop and it's also you're further up and there's so much happening in this elevation. But part of that is those longer periods as you go around the spiral, those long, longer periods of expansion where you have room to give to other people and you you can and be a person who is equipped. You can be a person who provides a space, who provides a container and we can help each other heal. And I would love for everybody listening to to at least explore the idea of therapy. Um, Mm -hmm. I would invite you to explore the the possibility of being a safe person for other people. And um, uh, before we wrap this up, because we've been going for a little while, I really want to hear about you getting into therapy, especially from a male's perspective, because I, I tend to hear really often from males who know they need to get therapy, that it's just too big of a barrier um, Mm -hmm. to try and be vulnerable as a man, number one, when the world is telling you, you can't be strong and have emotions at the same time, or or that it it might be uncomfortable to be in therapy as a man. How do I talk to another man about my trauma? How do I talk to a woman about my trauma? You know, and Mm -hmm. it's a lot different, I think. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, just really quick before I get into that, uh, just um, anybody that does need to reach out to somebody for help um, in an emergency or a mental health crisis, before you call 911, call 988. Okay, 988 is the new abbreviated mental health crisis hotline, um, and they can provide uh, services and emergency services related to mental illness. Keep in mind that when you call the when you call the nine one one, you can get the police. Okay, and I can't speak for all cops and say that none of them are equipped, but they're law enforcers. Okay, they are here to enforce the law to protect and serve, but they're not necessarily mental health advocates. And if you see somebody that's actually doing something radical or like really crazy, like even if you see maybe somebody on the street that really is maybe have suffering a mental breakdown or a mental. Uh, uh, crisis and maybe they're even getting violent, calling the cops can actually get somebody hurt. Um, calling 988 will get them help. So just um, keep that in mind, everybody. I'm so glad but, you said that. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but yeah, in terms of therapy for uh, for men, um, yeah, it is, um, there is definitely boundaries there for men. Uh, a lot of men don't want to talk uh, about their emotions in the first place. Uh, there's a lot of societal pressure on us to be um, like rocks, you know, to be uh, sturdy, to be um, not, you, you know, honestly, unemotional to just do and not feel. Um, there's also not a lot of space to feel because, you know, um, I can even speak, especially as a black man in, in this society, it can be um, even harder to express any type of um, uh, just pain or uh, struggle because 
people just don't have space for it. We don't have space for it. Like, I literally don't have time to complain and cry and get emotional about my life because I'm struggling financially. So, like, the struggle makes me want to cry. But if I cry, then I'm going to struggle more and I don't have time for it. So let me just grip my teeth and, like, not say anything. Um, The people around me are already depending on me enough you know, to, to get things done. If they see me crying, then everything is going to crumble. You know, uh, all of these thoughts come into, um, into the heads of, you know, um, a, a lot of men, but, um, I can definitely speak as a, as a black man. Uh, it's, it, that's something that it struggles a lot in our community. Um, in terms of finding like a, a therapist and, uh, speaking to a man or a woman, um, I think every, uh, a lot of men are, are different. Um, some men just have an easier time speaking to women about their emotions than they do with men. Uh, a lot of it is about our experience. You know, if uh, if you had a tough mom and she was like, boy, stop crying, you know, or, she, you know, or like, stop, you know, that's not what boys do. That's not what men do. No, no, no. If you had a tough mom that, you know, talk to you like that, um, maybe you don't feel comfortable talking to a woman about your emotions. Um, if women responded tenderly to you in, in comforting when you did speak about your emotions and you had women in your life growing up that were like that, maybe you do feel more comfortable speaking to a woman. Uh, some guys just want to be related to on the level of being a man. And they think that women are just never going to understand what it's like to be a man. And I mean, there's, there's some truth to that. I mean, it's the truth. We'll never understand as a man what it's like to be a woman and vice versa. So, um, sometimes we need that community. We need that safe space. Um, to relate to. Uh, what I don't recommend is using any of that as an excuse to bottle things up. Okay. Um, what I'm going to say to the men that might be listening today is you owe it to the people in your life. You owe it to the women in your life that you care about to be mentally healthy. Not just to yourself, but you have a duty if you are going to actually be that rock, that provider, that man that you envision yourself to be. Bro, you ain't never going to get there if you're a a wreck inside. You are literally going to destroy yourself on the way to trying to be something that you're just not yet. Okay? Our character has to be able to sustain whatever the type of man or the type of lifestyle that we're trying to support. Your character has to be able to sustain it. And an emotionally unhealthy person is not sustainable. It's just not. So if you want to make it like a practical thing and not an emotional thing, bro, it's like you're not getting an oil change on your car. It's like you're not filling the gas tank. You're going to break down, dude. You know, and you might that might be your biggest fear. Well, guess what? You're like making it inevitable by not maintaining the car. You might not maintaining your vehicle on a regular basis. Um, how often do you need to go to a therapist? I mean, I used to go once a week. Um, how often do you go to the gym if you want to see gains? Do you go once a month? Do you go once a week? Ideally, you should probably go multiple times a week, right? Okay, well, therapy might not be in the budget for people to go multiple times in one week, but to each his own. Some people got, you know, they, it's worth it to them. Um, I would encourage you guys to go at least twice a month. Um, twice a month is, is good and, um, enough to at least make, uh, some type of a gain 
in your life. Uh, it's got to be something that you're putting into practice because speaking about being vulnerable is like, it's a practice. It's not something that you do at one time in your life and then it's going to heal all of the things that you've been holding up. Like when you do it that way, when you talk where you're only vulnerable once every like six months, you're going to dump on somebody and just talk and talk and talk. And like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And then it's like, they don't even know what to do with all that. They're like, dang, dude, like we covered everything from the time you were eight years old until you were 40. Like, uh, where do we start? You know, it's like, and, or you might just cry your eyes out in a way that you're just like a babbling idiot and like, you can't even control yourself. You know what I mean? And it's like, there's nothing wrong with crying and letting out a really good cry. But the whole point is, is if you cried more often, you wouldn't cry a waterfall when you cry. Yeah. You know? You, you would, you know, it would, you'd be more in touch with it and you accept the emotions that they're always there. So, um, I just really just encourage, um, all the men listening, um, women as well, but just as a man that I understand that it could be a vulnerable space for us, um, and somewhat of an unsafe space. Um, I'm going to encourage you to be a man and not be afraid of it. Okay. Do what you, you're going to be afraid of, of emotions, my guy. Come on. You know, you could, if you could take on all the tough things that men have to take on in this world, you can handle your emotions, bro. You could definitely do it. And we all just need some help. So if it's a man that you got to talk to, if you need to talk to a man that, or, or a person that's from your culture, I encourage you to seek it out. If you're lazy about it and you don't really feel like doing it, um, ask somebody to help you. Ask one of the women in your life to help you. I guarantee you there is a woman in your life that cares enough about you and will be so enthusiastic and uh, excited that you care enough about your emotions that you want to maybe talk to somebody about it. They will help you find it. Yeah. And those people you. can't help you without really the invitation to do so. No matter who is on, is whoever's on your side, who's in your corner, they they may want to help you for 10, 15 years. They may see you struggling and want to be in your corner, want to help you. But that's not something you can do unless you're invited to do it. So right. you got to make the decision that you want to be different, that you don't want to be living um, underneath the rule of your your past and your feelings and your, you know, all this thing, these things that feel out of control. You got to decide that you want different first and and ask for help right absolutely yep there was uh there's this guy on instagram that posted this thing one time and it stuck in my head he was like um uh animals are born with the instinct with uh, with knowing the the skill that they need to to use to survive um and he said uh giraffes are born knowing how to run okay because <laughs> that's what they're going to be doing to survive snakes are born learning how to knowing how to bite, learning how to bite, because that's what they're going to need to do to survive. Humans are born crying, asking for help. Literally, the only thing we know how to do when we come into this world is ask for help. When? Where's my food? When? Save me. I poop myself. Like, help me. You know what I'm saying? And like, literally, without somebody helping us with every single thing yeah. 
we would not be here talking today as adults. Somebody helped you every single step of the way, helped me every step of the way. Yeah. Why do we grow up and feel like we just lost that ability to ask for help? Maybe we related to being a baby or to being an infant or being immature or something like that. Yeah. Um, but we all know that the time that we grow the fastest in our life is when we're kids, like mm-hmm. babies to like toddlers to young adults. That's the time that you still, you have to ask for help a million times a day. And look how fast you grow. And you're always growing. That that part really never ends. It just slows down. You know, the first five years are just so accelerated. But for the rest of time, you know, for until you're 24, that your prefrontal cortex isn't even fully developed, which means you can't understand that jaywalking is a bad idea. Talk about it. (laughs) You're you're the teacher. Take take us there. Come on. Yeah. You know, our, our reasoning center, our ability to understand cause and effect and consequences isn't fully there until we're into our 20s, guys. Like we we shouldn't be doing it alone. We tell ourselves we have to we are not an adult until we can do it alone. But maybe that's because we're watching the other adults around us try and do it alone unsuccessfully. So I'm wondering if changing the template looks like bringing everybody in, in together. What what if there's a reason why we're feeling these needs to gather? We're feeling the need to to make more friends, to meet more people, to be around the people we love, to spend time with them. Maybe that's just because we spent so long in isolation during quarantine and all of that. But maybe it's also because we're trying to build something new. What if we're trying to create a new world where things don't have to be difficult and we don't have to follow the path. Uh, we can follow the path of the least resistance instead of going through life with all these bumps and curves and all these things that hurt us, you know, we can eventually on the macro scale, we can kind of slow down all of that. Right. And, and lessen what we're feeling as a collective, if we're able to come alongside of each other and support one another on the micro scale. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. I will say this too, for anybody that's going to therapy, um, Therapy is, is a lot like going to the gym. If you go to the gym and you just walk on the treadmill for like 15 minutes and then you go home, ain't nothing going to happen. You're not going to see any gains, no changes in your life. It's barely going to do anything. You're wasting your time and your money, right? Why pay for a gym membership if you're going to walk on the treadmill for five minutes, right? It's the same thing with therapy. Um, you get out what you're putting into it. Mm. If you don't want to tell your therapist stuff, if you don't want to be open, if you're not willing to dive to those dark places, if you're not willing to be honest, you're going to get out what you put in. Your therapist can only really respond to what you tell them. They're not a mind reader, you know, and I'm just saying this even as somebody that was in therapy for a while. um, There's guys that were in um, in my therapy group that got a lot out of it because they were willing to be vulnerable and they were like, nah, I got to get this out. There were other guys that were going for even longer than I was there and they're still dealing with the same things that they were dealing with the first day that they got there. Right. You know, and I don't want to make an, a, 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 an example like putting them down or anything like that. I wish these brothers would get healing. Mm. I want to see them triumph. But even as somebody that's there as their brother and I want to see them win, we, I can't do it for you. Nobody can do it for you. The therapist can ask you questions. We would ask each other questions. We would even encourage each other like, okay, bro, I hear you, but why don't you go a little deeper, man? It feels like you're getting there, but then you stop. Like you don't want to go to that unsafe space. And like that wall, we're trying to knock it down right now. We're trying yeah. to totally bulldoze it. And you're like, you know, tiptoeing around it. We're trying to bulldoze that wall so it can never come up again. 
Yes. Um, how you feel about bulldozing that wall with us? And some people will resist it. Um, and no judgment. Okay. But in the end, if you want that triumph and you really want to not only make your time there worth it, but your money worth it, because sometimes it might be expensive to go to these therapy sessions, depending on who you go to, uh, the sooner that you get into the nitty gritty of it, the sooner you could be over it, the sooner yeah. you can start healing from it. So dive deep. Don't be scared. Absolutely. I think that's a really important piece to mention too, because speaking to that community aspect, whether it's in a church or in another format that you're getting, if, you, if you're with people who can help build you up, that's a place where you can have people come along and say, Hey, what if we all bulldoze this wall together? And you know, what if you went a little deeper and they ask you those probing questions They give you that permission to be vulnerable. I call this positive peer pressure in childhood education system. It's the same mm -hmm. thing when you're trying to potty train your kids. If you put them in preschool and they're seeing everybody else pee four times a day, they're probably going to try it too, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, we are creatures of habit. We watch other people and we mirror it, you know? Yeah. And um, so there is, there is a, a, a space for this to happen in a group supportive setting. And there, there's also a place for it to happen in therapy, whether you want to expedite your timeline and go in and take an active hand in your healing role. For me, I wanted to expedite things quickly. I wanted to go in and talk about things, get to the core of things, build relationship immediately. Those are parts of me that are naturally already expressed. So it wasn't hard for me to do it in therapy. But I even noticed after a certain amount of months, I was just talking about whatever was stressing me out that week, whatever was killing me and triggering me, traumatizing me, whatever I was going through, I just needed to decompress and unload. And I was never doing any of the deep, deep, deep work in therapy. And I felt really frustrated by that for a long time. But the thing is, in each of those moments, even when I was just like, oh, uh, I, I can't let my boyfriend have privacy. <laughs> like, I, I love him and I need him in my space all the time. What do I do? <laughs> um, even in that, I learned these valuable lessons that I can take and apply to other situations. And it's this, um, this all-encompassing healing that's happening from all these different avenues. It doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to have the perfect therapist, or you don't have to have the right amount of money to make sure you get help. You don't have to have the right amount, the right family who's supportive or, you know, friends who tell you to go to therapy. Maybe you don't have any of those things and you just randomly found this podcast on the internet. And this, um, this expression of vulnerability from two artists can allow you that permission to express that vulnerability and start exploring these things. Yeah. So I really just, I guess I just wanted to say that there is no template that you have to follow for these things but it's important that you start exploring it because like you said it doesn't go away right so it doesn't just go away because you you shove it all down that's right yeah well said thanks you too man this was a really good conversation i'm so glad we had it yeah me too this has been uh very healing for me today too i didn't realize how much i needed to have this conversation today so thank same. you <laughs> same seriously same not surprised and um on an encouragement note if you weren't doing that consistency thing as an artist and putting yourself out there all the time maybe you wouldn't have been on my mind and maybe it wouldn't have been like hey you know who i used to talk about this kind of stuff with <laughs> you know, like maybe, yeah. maybe I should hit up Travis. Like I see you, you're on my mind. I see the things you're doing. I see the things you're passionate about. I see you out there authentically living your journey. And I see, oh, 
this is a this is a piece that we can come in together and we can do a little extra digging and a little extra work, you know, and and just being being authentically you, being willing to be vulnerable, being willing to go through your experiences even when they're painful and they make you feel stupid and they make you feel seen and you don't want to be seen. Yeah. There's so much benefit to it. Totally. So much benefit. And it's not even sometimes it's unseen. Sometimes it's for you and you don't even know it. Mm-hmm. Real talk. Real talk. And before we end this conversation, do you want to plug your handles a little bit so you can tell us where we can find you if we want to listen to your content, if we want to get involved with the mental health stuff you're involved in, anything like that you want to plug? Yeah, sure. Um, so if you guys are on Instagram, I'm at, uh, at IT official, all one word. That's IT, like infinite T. My name is Travis. IT official. Um, on Facebook, I'm at IT official channel, facebook.com slash IT official channel. Um, I put out uh, encouraging music, positive music, Christian hip hop, uh, mental health hip hop. So if you're on Spotify or iTunes, Apple Music or any of that, just type in i.t.official and you'll see my stuff come up. Um, I released a project called Survival Kit, um, which is uh, all about mental health uh, recovery and just getting through uh, dark times and um, celebrating the triumph of uh, being being lifted out of it at the same time. So uh, you can also hear a, a song recorded version of the poem that I, I shared with you guys today. It's called Have You Ever Felt Like This? Um, it's, we turned it into a song so people can uh, get some, you know, some uh, mood setting saxophone and some, uh, you know, some, just some musical accompaniment there and uh just uh, hopefully help you guys, you know, if you're ever having a, a day as dark as I had, that you know that you're not the only one going through it. So, yeah. That's awesome. Dots in the initials. That's in uh, your lyrics, too. <laughs> yeah, IT official, dots in the initials. So yes, yes, periods yes. in there. <laughs> I love it. Well, this was an awesome conversation, Pratt. Thanks for coming on and having it with me. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for thinking of me. 